fate of the world. Not fate. Really? You have? No. Damn! Am I the only... Ah! Oh, there I go again. Now I have to do another spiel. <laughs> fate of the world is the kind of... Th it opens up the, wor the world of what video games could be, not just as educational tools in the, in the strictest sense, but as educational tools as an artistic experience. I keep likening it in my mind thematically to how it works as the what the wire probably would have been as a video game. The wire? Really? Yes. Because it shows systems and structures and institutions and how to fix problems, especially in a world that says, okay, we're going to give you enough power to try and fix the world's problems. And they give you quite a lot of leeway, but if you try even then as a global NGO, global thing to try and fix everything, all these big problems in the world, if you go against too far in how the systems are set up in co on these continents and in these countries, they'll kick your ass out. And you just, you can't fix anything then. And you'll lose your, you lose huge amounts of funding, especially if North America or Europe goes, you've just lost half your funding. And the entire, you can, and it just shows the systems and how they work. I thought, oh good, I'm getting people job in one game, I still haven't gotten past the second mission because it is hard. It is apparently the world is a complicated place, uh, and the game and the game is deceptively simple in how it in how it addresses these issues, and it is in some ways, but in other ways, it matches that complexity. And you just and you're not just learning. Oh, the world is difficult, and these are hard. But oh my God, this is why it's hard. Even forget implement on the micro level implementing these plans it's just holy shit i have to drop my education program in the in the southern african in the south southern half of the african continent to stop people from blowing up each other in the middle east and to stop water shortages in china the us is running out of coal because i needed it to 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 fund russia which was in collapse and then it, just as you think you got this under control the world goes, everything goes into a worldwide recession because of speculative markets. <laughs> so basically, just, this is what happens when you try to play world police? Yeah, except you're not playing world police. You're more like playing world bandage applier, <laughs> band-aid applier. It's, it sounds like more like world nanny. Well, yeah. it does. It doesn't because like Africa is actually apparently very easy to uh, fix if you throw enough money at it. Its problems are actually relatively easy to get under control and stabilize. And Middle East, somewhat the same. India screws me up every single time. This just sounds more problematic. I mean, it's interesting, but it sounds problematic. Well, it's mostly yeah, it does sound problematic because it sounds like it has a, a kind of uh, left-leaning bias. Like we can throw a lot of money at Africa and it'll fix itself, which obviously well, no, it's not. That's not. That's not necessarily a left-leaning like, bias. That's just. No, it's, it's a Western normative bias is what it is. It, well, it's, yeah. the only reason is is because you throw the money, but you throw it into these certain projects which have to address certain needs and problems that are going on. And the thing is, it's I'm not explaining it well. It is super complex. It is super accurate because they got a lot of scientists to go through this and mechanically put it over. And yet, the thing is, it's a video game, so it's not going to match the entire world complexity. It's going to have to take some extract, abstraction somewhere. But, and I'm saying I'm throwing a lot of money at Africa, but I'm really throwing a lot of money at huge sweeping programs to help push Africa through. Like, you can throw their energy crisis and their, jo 
and get them a lot of jobs, but it won't mean it won't do anything unless you put huge education programs in place first. Mm-hmm. And like the Middle East is like I say it collapsed, but really the only reason that the security worked at all is because I stabilized the the uh, the growth of the desert and put in huge and put in huge water resources ex- and expand the control there so the place wouldn't dehydrate. And all the meanwhile, North America went to shit because I paid too much attention to this part of the world. And it shows just about as much that you can't fix the world as much as here's how things work. Because, like, I say, yeah, I I fixed Africa to the detriment of Latin America, Russia, China, and North America. Sounds fair. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's like you're using these terms like I fixed South America or something like that or I, I fixed Africa and it's just like, the the entire notion of fixing things according mm-hmm. to certain criteria is again it's just like it's so problematic to me. It sounds really interesting and it sounds like this is a game that we should be, de- be devoting a lot more discussion to because it does sound like it addresses some really heavy issues. Um, so I would invite our listeners out there to check it out and start writing really I, awesome well, pieces yeah. about it. But of course, I say I I, I want to caveat this because I know it's I know I'm sounding like a jackass when I'm doing this. But the thing is, is the way it's it's opening montage explains how the world because it starts in 2020, not not the present day, just just slight future and explaining the few things that caused. And it's very fictionalized because you know this NGO would never have the power that even the limited power it it does uh-huh. have. I mean, I understand. I understand that just like just talking about it it's leaving a lot of things out and that's why i'm saying this is something that a lot more people would potentially have an interest in and be able to deliver some really meaningful thoughts on and that's why i call it the wire because talking about the wire no matter how deep you go into it you're going to leave stuff out the work speaks for itself so much better and any question that you say what about this what about this somewhere because i'm discovering everything matters and i'm having to dig deep on every failure, I realize, oh, I actually have to pay attention to this. Oh, this actually means something. These stats mean that. And it's a stra- it's a hardcore strategy game that on the surface does not look like a hardcore strategy game. And I think that like level of... But you can get... But I think it like the more fail you get, the more you dig deep, and the more you realize, oh, here's another layer of problems that cause this. And sometimes the answer to fix something is that you have to fix something in a different part of the world that gives you access to ish to technology that'll fix a third thing, which will then cause influence and trade to flux into a, a thing that'll help the market push certain certain problems out of the way that a new program can come in and fix. So it's the solution ends up being four steps removed that you can never figure out. What a kind of like the real world. Yeah, just, it all sounds so it all sounds so creepy, but but it's I'm an, it's, I'm an anarchist and I hate money, so. It, it, it's a lot like trying to fix the problem of Yellowstone National Park. You know, you basically, back in the 1930s, they had too many wolves, so what they did was uh, they kill all the wolves. And that caused the, the deer to overpopulate, and that, you know, screwed up a whole bunch of other things, because the deer were unstoppable, and so they uh, started having, you know, deer, li- deer hunting licenses, which is, a, which is a fine way of controlling deer population. But they and they're to trying re- to re- and they're trying to reintroduce the wolves. Yeah, quick, but on their numbers. Uh, so you know, it goes like trying to reintroduce the wolves is fine, but it also pisses off the farmers because the wolves encroach on farmland, and 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 you know they they 
they got rid of the uh, extinction warning for the gray wolf, and so now farmers are just killing wolves with impunity, and they're they're under threat of extinction again without actually being on the extinction list. Oh, that also. Oh, those extinction lists also come. I've apparently killed off the black rhino five times so far. Yeah. So, in five different games. I'm sure so, you had it coming. <laughs> I didn't even realize it was on the endangered list because I wasn't paying attention to that stat. Yeah. So yeah, and I just felt terrible. Oh my god, I'm causing. The, I'm trying to. I thought I fixed South Africa, but no, the crap. Yeah. It's like like it, you, it's you, like, it's not mean, fixing so much as getting shit under control so it won't <laughs> explode in your face. Yeah, because if you make farmers with prosperous, all they're going to do is build more farms, and that's going to hurt the environment. You know, it's a, it's a nonstop problem. There's too many people on Earth. And the thing is... Yeah, in fact, I, I, I have an excellent suggestion for how to win this particular game. Kill all humans. Kill all that's humans. Actually, the thing is, there are multiple different scenarios with different condi- winning conditions and different starting conditions and different presumments. Like, some of them are really right-wing. Like, we do have an unlimited supply of oil. Drill yourself out of our problems. And another one says... Get to 2020 without everyone nuking each other. And the third one is Dr. Apocalypse, where you have to get everyone, put, set things up, so you get to 2020, and then wipe the entire human race race out without them noticing in the process. <laughs> That's awesome! <laughs> and, and there's everything in between. Wow. And I... So... Wow. Huh. <laughs> and I say I fixed Africa, when really all I did was get it human... human something in... human survival index above 0. 0.7. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> or the human, human uh, HDI index. So. It, it does yeah. sound like a very complex game. Yeah, it <laughs> And the thing is, with the recent problems everywhere, I think this only become the game becomes even more important. Mm. I mean, there's the opposite end of it, which is kind of like the neo-Luddite naysayer, but it's just like, why are we modeling this in a game instead of trying to figure out the real solution? Well, maybe because the real solution is bloody complex. Yeah. And so this game is trying a... to educate. And the thing is, this game, if anything, well, these first of all, these aren't the people going to fix it, the people making this game. And secondly, it clarifies anything in the beginning steps of where we have to go. And thirdly, it might educate enough people so that they stop stop-gating people who are trying to fix it. Which all is based upon the assumption that there aren't enough, you know, biases implicit in the framework and mechanics of the game that it creates a skewed perspective of the entire situation. But again, I haven't played it. I'm just saying that when well, you're talking about creating skewed. a... But when, when you're talking about modeling something, that it's like it's, you're always like looking at it through a particular perspective. Even if it's not like a completely limited authorial perspective... It's still colored through what the programmer puts in versus what the programmer leaves out. And it's not a real world fix. And it's not, I mean, it has some merit as an, like as an, as an educational idea, but I don't think that it's a replacement in any way. I don't, I don't know because yeah, it has its own wiki as well. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be taken as a simulation <laughs> of the real world. It has a wiki. I mean, that means it's legit. Well, yeah. no, that means it because it explains everything with citations. So. Here's the thing, though. I mean, if, if you treat it as a real simulation, then you, you end up with Herman Cain's 999 plan, you know? He bases it off That Sim doesn't City. work either. Yeah, it doesn't work. It didn't work at SimCity. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it. It didn't work. No. <laughs> Maybe you should just go back to cooning Pokemon, then. 
Yeah. Which was still. Uh, don't take it seriously, babe. It just ain't your story. I, someone is, uh, here must play it. Of course. Uh, no. I haven't gotten to you, it yet. Neither of you have. Okay. Um, just it's a quick. It's sitting on my desktop. It's a really short game, and it's also really good. It's. I mean, I think the developer Christine Lowe would even hesitate to call it a game per se because it has few what we would consider traditionally interactive elements. It's more of a visual novel. It has a sort of anime aesthetic to it, but really you shouldn't treat that as a barrier to your engagement. It's a very fun Western story. It's set in, I believe, Toronto. Um, And it's really more about the current trajectory of social media and monitoring of social media into a panopticon culture. Um, Red, way I read it, read like a horror story. I guess it's kind of scary. I mean, it's, it's like, it, it paints a grim picture of the future. It's in a little so brother. Many... Cory Doctor's what? story. Little brother. I mean, little brother takes it to a bit more horrendous extremes. There's like, there's no torture or anything in this. It's more about a oh. teacher who's being tasked to monitor the quasi-Facebook interactions of his students. And I really don't want to give away what the resolution to the story is, but... Um, the suggestion here is just like, it's not an all or nothing scenario. Just because you change the paradigm doesn't mean that, you know, all idea of privacy just goes away. It just means that the terms of engagement change. And even though I think the ending, and I think Love would kind of agree with me on this point, goes really, really didactic. Um, I think it has some really interesting theories and really interesting conclusions. So even if you don't consider yourself you know, a visual novel type player, even if you don't particularly care for anime, I would totally recommend this. It's one of the smartest little indie things that have come that's come out this year. I'll have to check it out. And so should you, listeners. Yes. May. Brink, Terraria, L.A. Noir, The Witcher 2, Assassin of Kings, Sissy's Magical Ponycorn Adventure. I played one of Let's those. Talk about Brink. Let's talk about Brink first. Go ahead. Have either of you played it? No. no. Oh. Okay, yes, I played it. It sucks! Okay, okay moving on. Well, okay, let oh. me explain why it sucks. Uh, no, no, I'll, I, I think we'll all, we all understand why it sucks, no, because it no longer it's exists. Just, it still exists? What do you mean, no longer I thought, it, I thought they took the servers offline. No, 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 it still exists. It's still online. They're having a sale of Steam. No, it's like, it's like Team Fortress 2 minus the fun. <laughs> and so what if, does it have hats, at least? Because I'm sure people will yeah. play it if it has hats. Yeah, it's got more than hats. It's got every body part. Every body part is customizable, and that's that's a really cool part about Brink. And it'd be awesome if, if Team Fortress 2 the same way. But it's no fun. It's it's horrible. The shooting mechanics are terrible. You you shoot dudes, you shoot them like a million times, and they, they don't die. They fall down. It doesn't feel reactive, you know. It's an FPS. It's a failure. I don't like this game. Let's talk about something else. Terraria. Yeah. I played a little bit of it. I prefer Minecraft, but to each his own. Yeah, I, I uh, was. Recently gifted a copy of it. Um, thank you. I believe it was Dennis. I'd have to check my Steam history. Um, but it's cute. It's it's 2D Minecraft. I have to say I, I prefer Minecraft as well. Likewise. I was not really blown away by it. I, I mean, I bought it on sale for like $2. And it's, it's like, eh, it's like I prefer Minecraft. I, I prefer building a 3D house. Because I, I don't know if it's because I love Lego or because I'm not really fond of the 2D thing. I don't know. It's it's one or the other. It's well, it could be both. For me, it's it's just that I mean, and I came across this really early on. It's that I couldn't fight very well, and there seemed to be more enemies in it than um, in Minecraft. Yeah, and it it's just like seemed. An game. My problem had more to do with navigation, which is ironic given the two D versus three D. But when you're digging downward, 
Yeah. When you come into a cavern, it's easier to get around and get out in a 3D environment than it was in uh, Terraria's 2D. Yeah, it's even digging itself is kind of annoying because you, when you when you swing your pickaxe, you, you don't hit the thing in front of you, even though you're swinging at it. You you only hit the stuff that your icon, I mean your your mouse pointer is pointing at. It's kind of weird because in in Minecraft, it doesn't matter where you aim. It's it's where uh it's where you you're know, looking. Where you're looking, yeah, yeah, and that, that determines what you're hitting. And that's why Minecraft, I think, is a better game. It's more intuitive that way. Crafting okay. is also just really weird in that game. I still haven't gotten the hang of it. I'm sure it's easier with practice, but, I mean, after spending so much yeah. time in Minecraft, it's just like, I, I'm I, trying to relearn the wheel here, and I don't know why. I, I had trouble doing complicated crafting in Minecraft, so I just settled for building large, elaborate structures instead. <laughs> I just like I making cakes. Or digging down into to, to the mines of Moria, as I call them. <laughs> Either of you play L.A. Noir? Yes. No. Okay, there you go. Wow, it's like one person per game. Okay, it's a good game. Uh, a lot of it takes a lot of flack because a lot of people are expecting a sort of GTA style game. It's absolutely nothing like GTA. It's more of an adventure game, to be honest. An adventure game with a sort of open world ish thing. It actually, I'm glad adds, you said that. It adds I, to I'm the immersion. So... Yeah. Why are Somewhat... you glad Because. Again, I think it was mismarketed. People were expecting a GTA thing, or they were just expecting an action game with like dialogue segments, a la Mass Effect. And what they got was an adventure game of a little more advanced of the point-and-click variety. Yeah, it's a great adventure game. I love it personally. It's... And that's, and it, it seems to me is like, and the, but the thing is, is like from what I've heard about it, and what I've seen is that it tries to think it's action game to appease people. Yeah, that. Are, and the final uh, and the end game, which probably should have been a very complicated interrogation sequence based on everything else you've done in the game, is sh- I believe shooting people with a flamethrower in the LA sewers. <laughs> it's like it's like they they started with a, a Phoenix Wright template and just kind of yeah. went off the rails. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it, it only happens in a really really last mission. So, in the meantime, all the missions are actually really well written. They're they're actually as well. They're really good at short stories. Like these are like detective novels, little, tiny little detective novellas that you you would read on, you know, uh, in a McSweeney's or something. So to I, me, this act, like this them. could have been, this could have actually been a format for me because I had this idea and I was wondering why is no one jumping on this? It seems perfect with the current market. You give a very cheap base game with a lot of short story vignettes in it and a lot of cheap DLC, not five dollar DLC, like two dollar DLC. Mm-hmm. Or ninety-nine cent off the off the rock band formula, with short stories off of the pre-made assets, with new dialogue and new structure and new twists and turns, and you could do a couple of these a month just to keep the cash flowing off of the base game. And Mass Effect Two had a structure that could have supported that with its hub-based mission settings to adventure into far parts of the universe. You could have done here with as a detective getting new cases. And I'm just wondering, why is no one jumping on this This potential? Human resources is the thing. I mean, when you're talking about a game like this, it's it's not just reusing existing assets. You're talking about, you know, remixing the existing, like, templates for new character models. You're talking about hiring voice actors. You're talking about writing new dialogue and getting that recorded and all the well, if, that goes into Well, that. if you do it like T. Bondi, of course, it's, it's going to be even more expensive. 
but I think a functioning studio, uh, a real functioning studio with a lean, with good management and a lean way to do it could actually get a lot of profit margin out of this in the long run. I think it's well, a lot of ifs. Yeah, it's, it's like what we said um, five million hours ago in the first part of this podcast. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're, we're grappling with a bunch of companies that are still stuck in a 20th century mindset that don't really have the infrastructure set up to do these things smartly with DLC. Uh, now that I think about it, Echo Bazaar runs off of a very a similar mo- model of what I'm describing, although just in the social format. Like, okay, so you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have read this, but uh, it's a it's a it's a series of, of short stories that take place in Eleanor's universe, and it even has Joyce Carol Oates as one of the writers. It's a it's a whole it's a free book on uh, on the Rockstar's website. You can download it. It's it's basically uh, a book of short stories, of detective stories. You guys should check it out. Joyce it's... Carol Oates wrote a short story for L.A. Noir. Yeah, I'm her just, among have... many other great writers. Yeah, I'm just was El was Elman in that? Because it, so- it sounds like so. something. He... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the Max Minis writers were in it. So, yeah. This is actually one of the really cool trans Well, considering L.A. Well, Noir really universe is really just L.A. in the 1940s, yeah. it's not that big a stretch for these writers. No, it's not. It's, it's right. a really good writing exercise. The Witcher 2? Sorry, I think Chris it. wanted to say something about L.A. Noir. No, no, no. Oh, I was cool. done. I was just like, I can't wrap my brain around Joyce Carol Oates, who I've always considered a very like non-genre writer, um, just a literary writer doing yeah. video game tie-in fiction. And there you go with ghettoize, ghettoizing the genres. What? Yeah. I'm a mystery, genre has, mystery has been a literary genre longer than you've been alive. Sherlock Holmes was the first, you know? The, That's The different. Maltese Falcon. No, it's not about her doing genre fiction. It's about her doing genre fiction for a video game tie-in. <laughs> now you're ghettoizing video game tie-in. They ghettoize themselves. Well, then, this is an attempt not to. This is just a really yeah. weird attempt. It could work. It's you haven't like, read of the all story. the people you want to get for this, Joyce Carol Oates, she's won awards and stuff. Well, then, she's <laughs> bringing that pizzazz and home to this. Okay, whatever. Let's just move on to The Witcher. The Witcher, yeah, uh, I didn't play much of it. I didn't play it at all. I just have something to say because it sounds like everything that I've, we've been bitching about that we want in an RPG and yeah. apparently it is. none of us talk. <laughs> yeah, it's supposedly it is, right? I, yeah. I, I'm planning to pick it up. It's just, yeah, it's uh, still months. expensive. Yeah. I, I got I picked it for up free because they months. gave it to me. And I was, I was supposed to review it. I never got around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not so cool. Maybe you want to edit that out of the podcast. Uh, no, it's cool. cool. takes you off their uh, their list. I think they realized he didn't review they, it. They realized, you <laughs> know. Tom Old okay. knows. Who here played Magical Pony Corn Adventure? I did. Actually? Oh, I played the first fifteen seconds. What? You didn't you really it's a short game. It's like I five minutes. I couldn't take the audio. It it's got to me very cute. quickly. It is cute. Shrill. There's cute, and then there's shrill, and this was the latter. What? And I'm gonna. A lot of hate mail for it, for saying so. Oh God, you have no I soul. know. I just didn't want to say because I know it, the kids probably. And it was cute that he did it. With, she, she did it with her dad. She did it with her dad designer, and they and they did it GDC and it the 
Twitter Twitterati gushed over it for a week and I said, "All right, I'll I finally got around. I tried it in like 15 seconds. Oh my god, that voice, my ears stop." I just think it's significant because it's the first example of a published game by a brony. <laughs> <laughs> Good on that. All right. June, Infamous 2, Child of Eden, the Duke Nukem Forever, uh, and The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. Where do we start? Uh, oh. Well, I tried to get Infamous 2, but uh, the library was closed. So <laughs> I, ha- I have it, but I haven't played it. I, uh, it's not my kind of game. Because I, I, I just I'm, I want to play it just to see if they... Because I, I wrote quite a bit on the original Infamous all in one week. And I just want to see, it's like, oh my god, this was so close. It was in reaching distance of doing something great. And it fell flat on its face. I wanted to see with Infamous 2 if it got up and crossed the finish line. <laughs> That's what I want to see if it if it managed to achieve that. Child of Eden. What, what, it. It was, I played for it. you, it was, it was Hail Sagan, was it? Hail, Hail Sagan, um, I guess if you want to say it like that. Um, but yeah, it's like it's up there with Dragon Age 2 for my game of the year. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was a great aesthetic experience. Um, it was tremendous use of the Kinect. Um, Tom Oxler from Nightmare Mode may have some words to have with you. Yeah, I'm sure he does, and I don't really care. No offense to him, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's just like sometimes I do like a game that's pretty. I don't see what's wrong with enjoying a game that's pretty. I think it was a great um, spiritual successor. Yeah, it is kind of short. Um, $60? God! Probably. And the and the connect. Yeah, yeah. And the connect. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Okay, so it was a mistake to buy... Okay, so it was a mistake to buy it on release day. I've already had my piece like five trillion hours ago about how... <laughs> You know, release day is just a bane upon, you know, the life cycle of a game that we should stop thinking of things in terms of release day. We should stop paying these tremendous amounts for games. But if you just take it as a product, I mean, I am like echoing Gus Mastrapa here a bit. It's just like we need to stop thinking about games in terms of the price point. I mean, sometimes at least. Yeah, we want to think about them in terms of tools and their usefulness and their life life cycle. But in this case, it's just like. This is an aesthetic thing. This is a game that I want to play, along with things like Flower and Flow, that I want to play to feel good and to feel relaxed. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a game being that. I think it was a great spiritual successor to Res. I can definitely play the two in tandem. I think that they end up having this interesting dialogue um, of philosophy going on. So I have no problems with it. Maybe I have a problem paying $50, $60 for it, but that was your guys' problem. Well, to, I have a problem paying $60 for any game. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I gladly dish up $50 for a game. But, uh, Mister, I own a functioning website that pays my entire yearly salary. <laughs> but I, 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 don't, I don't think it's worth my time to pay $60 for something that's only two hours long, you know? I mean, if it was $15, I think it would have sold a lot more copies, personally speaking. I mean, why wouldn't it, you know? Why the fuck would uh, because... someone pay $60 for this shit? Uh, because if they don't see the number 60 and they see it at a budget price, they think, oh, it must be crap, I'm going to avoid it. Are you sure about that? Because look at Rayman, the... Rayman Origins, it's like... Uh, $60. $60. 50,000 50, people bought it. It's a horrible number, you know? And Me. probably less... The thing is, 
mainly because when people saw it, they were looking for their XBLA things because they thought it was a downloadable. They didn't get the yeah. message out there that it's a disc-based game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was an XBLA game as well. Until, you know, so did I until, like, October when someone finally... And no, until November when it was coming when it was being released. It was like, holy shit, I forgot this was out. It's a disc? Mm-hmm. It was like, I was shocked by that. Duke Nukem Forever. Uh, it bombed. Hang on. It was, like, it was just kind of like a wet fart to the end of a really long punchline that stopped being funny about eight years ago. And with Bulletstorm earlier in the year, it was even irrelevant for like the making poor toilet humor with macho guys crowd, even. The thing that it's I fun. hate most about Duke Nukem is that it came out the same week as Child of Eden, and thus that was part of the reason that the former received less attention. But Duke yeah. Nukem bombed. I know. Sales. It's that's $4 what I'm now, and I don't want it. I don't want to be that's $4. The, that's the thing. It's like everyone's just like getting their hate on for Duke Nukem that everyone that no, that no one remembered. Oh, there's this cute game, Child of Eden, that just makes you feel happy and nice and as though you're on LSD. No, we need to hate Duke Nukem this week. Well, we can care about more than one thing at once, you know. Not the Luna that, or so I, told. I am quite convinced of that from my experience. <laughs> yeah, well, they forgot about Outland, too. So I don't... Exactly. They forget about uh, the... Ocarina of Time. Meh. It's shinier. Meh. July. <laughs> July. Bastion. Catherine from Ooh. Dust. Woo-hoo! Who wants to start with what? God, I love Bastion. Bastion. Bastion's awesome. I Get haven't here. finished it yet. Then we shouldn't tell you about the awesome thing that happens at the end. Yeah. Grr. But yeah, like, that long? You should play it. Well, it, the thing is, it's on my PC, and I have to hook things up to it. And when I'm on my PC, I end up playing Fate of the World. Excuses. Ah. <laughs> no, no, it's pro- Bastion. Even I've only gotten about halfway through it, and I've just been listening to the soundtrack for the last couple of days as my as my background music. And quite honestly, it deserves every praise it gets. It, it's okay. one of my top games of the year, and I haven't even finished I, it. I love anything. I love Bastion for the same reasons I love Portal 2. It, it's all thematic. The whole thing is very thematic. Yeah. It's, Go play it's it! Five fucking dollars, so buy it! Go! That's the thing, it's just like, alright, also is on every platform you can imagine now. It's on HTML5! You can play it on It's on Chrome! Chrome. It's on Chrome, which I thought was awesome. I should have put that in the events. Bastion is now on Chrome. It's just like it's one of those holy shit things. It's just like they put Bastion on Chrome, and it looks amazing. Anyway, Bastion is just like one of those total gut punches for me, because you start out playing and thinking, oh, this is just some sort of fantasy Western tale, and then they get into this whole narrative about, like, you know, like like ethnic genocide and all this other crap, And, and then, yeah, the existential part of it is like like recreating the world versus creating a new world and it's like you don't expect this out of this teeny little game this first game out of this particular publisher well not publisher studio it was warner brothers that published it and it's a critique on storytelling and the way it affects our lives it, it, oh the way it integrates storytelling and isn't about storytelling itself so subtly because it is a story within the story itself and and probably one of the few um you know, notable performances by a non-white actor this year. No, I thought I think he is white, no, and no, he just no, has the voice. He's black. No, no. Oh, okay. Black. I thought like I thought there was like a big hubbub where everyone thought he was black, but he just turned out to have a really deep voice. 
Or is that another game? That was some game this year. It came with something else. No, it's a black character. Okay. Well, yeah, he's a character, black character. That I know. No. And, what? No. Yeah, all the characters are of color in the game. So? I was saying, yes, he is a black character. Talking about the actor. You said character, so. They're both black, which is also really notable, because how often does that happen? Yep. Not very and here's often another, at all. Well, the, and no, here's something that's even rarer. It's a black character in a game who everyone says is awesome for non-stereotypical reasons. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, here's the, and here's the sad thing. The sad thing is, that's remarkable. <sighs> Baby steps. But anyway, major kudos to Supergiant Games for an excellent debut. And who, by the way, are awesome. Who, by the way, are awesome after the fact. Because I just tweeted about it. They thought I had a problem when I didn't. I was just mentioning that I have it and I played it and I thought it was awesome. I think I worded it poorly because they thought I had a problem and instantly at messaged me about it, wondering what they could do. Yes, they're very they're very open and friendly and they do a lot. And then I think I had to message back. No, I was just saying it's awesome. And they said, thank you. Yeah, see? <laughs> we love you, Super Giant. You're up there with Kirk <laughs> Hamilton for us loving you. I can't wait for the. I can't wait for Bastion too. Pretty sure they said they said that they were going yeah. to do that, but then it's just like yeah. even better. Yeah, but even then, better. Then, then we're then we're delivering DLC. We said we wouldn't, but we will. But it's free DLC as long as you're not on Microsoft. We love you. All right, so Catherine. I didn't play. I played the demo right before I played. I was playing the demo right before we started the podcast. I it was been sitting on my PS3 for months. I have um I have two copies of it. One on PC. Um, thank you, my kind donor. Most of my stuff on Steam is stuff that people have given to me. I feel like a rich. Welcome. Person. Thank you too, <laughs> Eric. From <Good> <laughs> I <Island>. donated. <laughs> you didn't give me Bastion though. I'm trying to think of who did. I think it was Zach. That sounds like Zach. Oh, I got a new message. Oh, it's not a game. Then I'm not your friend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Wow. I'm kidding. I'm not that much of a bitch. I'm, ah, I'm only that much of a bitch when I'm doing this week in video game blogging. Hey! You just seem a little more crazed than bitch. Really? Yeah. Because I've done it, and I know the feeling that comes through. It's hair-pulling, but it's not cruelty or annoyance or shrewish. It's just you want to pull your hair out at the end of it, and you end up looking like Einstein. I'm lost. You just look, end up looking crazed at the end of it because it's a long process that really sucks you. Oh, you're talking about this week in video game blogging. That's what I was working off because that's oh, what you said. Yeah, no, I just meant that people this are going to start calling me a bitch because um, I didn't include that. their awful article on stuff. I've gotten that. I actually. I don't give I, a shit. I don't give I a got shit. That one, I got that once, and it was so, it was so backhanded, too. But I, I honestly don't get about that because most people realize I actually put the more most links in this week in video game blogging mm-hmm. more than anyone else. Yeah, Let's see, Catherine. Yes, so uh, I played it. Okay, talk about it. <laughs> Did neither of you played it then? I played the demo. Ah, uh, it's a fun game. The narrative I didn't really care for. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting. I think this is like one of the things that I hope becomes more notable notable about, about over time, as opposed to some of its less savory um, gender elements. Is that 
it had a, a really interesting trans character, a character um, who transitioned from male to female. Um, and even though other characters were slightly phobic toward her, the character itself, as portrayed by Atlas, I felt was neutral to vaguely positive. And here's, um, here's one thing I could say is about being uh, negative reactions towards characters. This is something that a lot, not just video games, every medium has to understand is that how the characters react doesn't matter as much as how the camera reacts. Precisely. The characters can be douchey, they can be insulting to any degree that you wish. It's how the camera shows it that whether it will be, yeah, or you're an asshole. Yeah. reaction to it. And, you know, there is one moment in the game where it's possible to interpret the writers as being phobic or at least misunderstanding uh, what being trans is all about but i can't really get into that without spoiling the content and i don't wish to do that but where i heard most... it depends on which ending you get because in one ending the trans the trans woman hooks up with uh, her hooks up with her boyfriend um well i mean that hap- i mean it's really not so much about what happens with her and the other character it's more about how the antagonist treats her and i i mean i really can't get into that without spoiling a great spoiling the whole thing yeah. yeah. So I mean, I don't. Yeah. Really that, but I have my own reading on it, but again, I haven't played it, so I don't know how legitimate my yeah. My read I mean, I, I do think it's like it's worth a read before we really get into the nitty gritty of it. Someone but, is working on a Chris, uh, critical compilation, so yeah, I believe uh, our own David Carlton is doing that at some yep. point. So watch out for that, guys. Oh yeah, and I'm just gonna plug it. The Pop Matters. Uh, podcast episode on Catherine is excelente as well as who else did the, as the Experience Point podcast and I think one of the episodes of the Border House podcast touches upon it. Yeah, the great thing about the Pop Matters one is that I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> and you get your say. Actually, I think you were leading most of the discussion. I think I was. Um, and I also did the intro and outro in a Totally legit midnight. That's what story. I said, and I accidentally typed the wrong name on Twitter and got a new follower. <laughs> and I was like, why is Chris Ligman doing a southern accent? It sounds really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I accidentally typed in the wrong name and I and then she and then I she actually tweeted back, which podcast? My my Texas accent is horrible. It says Oh boy. <laughs> Oops. Well, uh, I forgive you, but yeah, no, it was a really unreal experience. Um, but yeah, Catherine itself, better than I expected, but not that great. Not so great that I wanted to be one of those games to be remembered for years to come. It's going to be remembered in the history books as this was the game that took its first steps into mature into mature theme. And, oh, uh, fuck and that! <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, there are so many games you could give that title to. Don't give it to this fucking Japanese, oh, we have to have this, like, heteronormative, gender essentialist crap. Okay, let's let's focus on a game that actually matters. Sorry, yeah, okay. I, I, wow. Um, from Dust, anyone? Yeah, I played it. I played the demo. I was actually <laughs> kind of impressed by it. I got yeah. my money back from Steam. <laughs> what? Yep. Oh, because it, oh, this of course, you play the Steam version, the broken version. Correct. You gotta play it on console. I don't wanna play it. It's a terrible game. So blah. I don't know. It was interesting to me. It was Uh, was nice aesthetic, had nice where to go. I don't know. The the problem with it, okay, 
it's, it's such a great concept and all, but it's like the, the campaign is so, such a pointless exercise, you know? The whole campaign is pointless because it's like it's a tutorial, it's an extended tutorial that's boring and long and boring and long. But the, the game itself could have been so much more interesting if it gave you the freedom of, say, black and white or uh, pop or populace. And, and that was my disappointment with it. It could have been so much more. And another thing is that the graphics, they were from 20 or 3. Ugly. Ugly as shit. And I got a graphics for but that was some ugly graphics there. Like, they could have done better. No, really, it was terrible. I, not, well, I'm not going to say it's a, it's one of the excellent ones, but as a as a piece of downloadable experimental work, I got to give it something. The controls are awful. Like I play with a PC, like I said, you know, mouse and keyboard, terrible. It's just not optimized for gameplay at all. That I would not recommend. All right, yeah. August. Wow. August, El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron, Deus Ex, Human Revolution, The Stanley Parable. Biblical games, aren't they? Yeah. In every uh, sense of the word, all three of them come to think of it. Yeah. I only played Deus Ex, though. I haven't played any of those, so... I I watched Ascension of the Metatron being played, and I played Stanley Parable about 12 times. Crazy. Five minutes per playthrough. Oh. It's an an amazing mod. That just does so much. Well, I think it's an amazing. I've heard people criticizing it as too stilted and too bland and too overt. And I think I don't think it is. I think it hits that sweet spot between being overt and opaque. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a half. It's a Half-Life Two mod with with the up all, with all the updated source stuff that they've done since Half-Life Two has been released. It's pretty. And it's just basic. It's basically a choose-your-own-adventure novel in a 3D space where your choices are acted out by walking, and you and there's a narrator. Except the narrator will tell you what choice to do before you do it, and you can imagine where that goes. Oh! oh. <laughs> he says you walk through the left door, and if you walk through the right one, Stanley wasn't very good at following directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. There's a, I played a 2D game very similar to that, actually. Was it Loved? Yes, it was Loved. That's the one. Another one, I, it's, a, it's a game I meant to write up about. And it's been so long, I'm not sure if it's worth writing about. I'd say so, because I love that game so much. Uh, pun. So, you want to talk about Deus Ex? Yeah, 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 I do want to talk about it. Okay. I would say it definitely lives up to the original. Uh, for the most part, the the ending is gonna blah. But let's not talk about the ending. Let's talk about the world that is established uh, and and the gameplay choices that it offers. It is it is definitely one of the better RPGs. You have real choices that you can make in in Deus Ex: Human Revolution that you you don't often see in even you know the bigger RPGs. Here, it's like everything you do has an effect, and the the amount of character that you give uh, Adam Jensen. It, like, a lot of people panned for the voice acting. They're like, oh, I don't like the voice acting. It tends to monotonous. Honestly? Really? That's what you're panning it for? Have you heard video games? Idiots. Yeah, I had no problem whatsoever with his voice. Uh, I had no problem with his voice acting. It was actually very good because he, he speaks very in a very monotonous tone most of the time, but when you get into... There, okay, Deus Ex Human Revolution has this very cool mode where you actually argue with people. You have a debate with them. And I've never seen this in any other game. It's like, Ellie Noir should have been like this, to be honest. Here, they have a, a dialogue, and you, you engage in dialogue with them. And 
Adam Jensen becomes very emotional. He's like, I smashed the mirror on my wall because I didn't like how I looked. It's like, wow. You know, it's like, he has a lot of character there. And to me, like, the, the game also raises a lot of interesting issues that uh, a lot of games fail to. Like, it, it, it talked about the haves and have-nots. It, it actually broached the, the whole Occupy movement. I mean, it, it touches on the same subjects as the Occupy movement, interestingly enough, even though it was created before Occupy Wall Street. Well, the there. first one does as well, so... Yeah, but to a lesser degree, you know? Here, it's like, you actually see the riots. You actually see these things very well presented in the game itself. You're not you're not just told about it. You know, in the first game you're told about it. Here you actually see it. You actually see these things happening. You see it on TV, you see it, you know, happening in the game itself. And that's what that's what I liked about it. It's like they, they actually brought the world to life. Like everything is so finely tuned. There's all these little details. Uh, you, you walk into a guy's computer room and you look at his walls, you look at his, uh, his cubicle, and you can see his post-it notes, and you can see the, the messages that he left there. There's so much detail. It, the world itself feels very lived in. You walk into Adam Jensen's house, his apartment, I mean, and you see that you know, he has, he has uh, taken up watchmaking. You know, he, he has tried to uh, become like a watchmaker as a hobby because he had like six months off time. He had nothing to do with it. Will himself. he be, is he the watchman? Uh, and you walk, you walk into his bedroom, and you see all of these letters to him, addressed to him. They're like, happy birthday, Adam. Happy birthday, Adam. And he, it's like he, you know, he leaves them there maybe because he feels alone, and he, he, he just reads them to himself or something. And you read his emails, it's like there's an apology there from someone who was taking care of his dog. It's like, I had to put the dog down because we didn't think you were going to come back, Adam. We're sorry. Very emotionally, you know, it's very emotional there. And Okay. But here's the big question. Yeah. How much G.K. Chesterton made it into the game? Uh, I don't know. None? Aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man Was Thursday. It's a, yeah. it's a good story. The original had that. Yeah, I know. That's why I asked. But yeah, I mean, it's a very thoughtful game. And people who pick it apart for the ending or the boss fights, I, I think people... Who judge? Okay, not people. That's that's such a horrible straw man. You know, I shouldn't get you know, straw man arguments, but I'll say this: if if you judge uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution based on its boss fights, based on the endings, I think I think you're really missing the point here because uh, the, the game, the the world itself is very believable, even if even if some parts of it might not be you know a, a, as good as they should be. I think I think it's a solid game, and you know, it, it's one of the more thoughtful games I've played over the years. So I'll do it with that. Yeah, it's very, it's a very thoughtful game. Okay.